Hey everyone, uh, we had some audio issues on this episode where a couple of times when Anna's talking, the audio drops out and we did not realize it until after we had finished recording. So I'm so sorry about that. I hope it doesn't affect your enjoyment of the episode at all. And we will in the future try to prevent that from happening again. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians, but we are not with the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina <laughs> any longer. And we are back. Yay! Uh, yay! It has been two years yeah. since we have recorded an episode. We did not intend our hiatus to be quite this long. So I, I think we had discussed a couple of months. Yeah, I listened to a a little bit of our last episode just to remember what we said. And we we definitely said we'll be back in six (laughs) to eight weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, naive Hallie and Anne of two years ago. We were so naive. Innocent we were. So innocent. So innocent. (laughs) So we'll give you a little update on where we have been if you are listening and have listened to our previous podcast episodes, uh, you probably wondered what we've been up to. So I think I probably mentioned in our last episode, I was moving out of state. I moved from South Carolina to North Carolina. I live in the Raleigh-Durham area, and I got a job with a company called Novelist, which is a reader's advisory database. So it is probably a service that your library subscribes to although you may not know about it unless you're a librarian. Uh, Librarians, I think, rely on it pretty heavily to help recommend books to their patrons. And although it is something that you as a library user could have access to through your library, I think that in my experience at the public library, not that many people knew about it, which is unfortunate because it's just an awesome, awesome tool. And we do try our hardest to reach both readers and librarians. So if you're interested, look at your library's website under any sort of digital resource page that they might have for their databases, and you will most likely see novelists there. Um, We do things like read-alike recommendations. We do recommended reads lists. We have articles and awards lists, pretty much anything you can think of. We try to connect uh, readers with the books that they want to read. So the job is great. I really enjoy it. I do miss being at the public library a little bit, I would say, depending on the day. (laughs) Being at the public library was always an adventure. You never quite knew what each day was going to look like. But there were also times that it could be frustrating, you know, anytime you're working, I think, with the public. There could be frustrations, but I I do very much miss talking books with customers. The work that I do now is very different because we're talking to many more people when we're recommending books than a one-on-one conversation, but you don't have that feedback necessarily of whether you recommended something that that somebody really loves. Um, So that's why I'm so excited that we're doing the podcast again. Yeah, for sure. So it's a chance to get back to more of that reaching people directly. What else is new in my life? So since I've moved here, I 
started fostering rescue dogs for a local rescue. And it has been so much fun. It's such an adventure. Every dog has its own unique little personality. And it is hard to give every single one of them up, but it's also super fulfilling. I think the shortest I ever had one was maybe four or five days and the longest is about two months. So we just incorporate them into our lives and try to give them a nice happy home until they find their forever family. Um, And I have one right now who is in a crate downstairs. So you might hear her whining a little bit. She was not happy to be left, left downstairs by herself. Um, But she's a sweet little dog and she, she's probably fine down in the crate. So I think that's kind of it. And do you want to share what you have been doing the last two years? Sure. Um, So the last time we recorded, I was about to have another surgery and that went fine. And thanks to everyone who checked in with me, it was really nice to get messages. And it's nice to know that there are people out there that care besides my immediate family. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I also have left Beaufort County. I moved to Nashville in April of 2018 and I'm still working in the library world, but I am also not working in a public library anymore. I do collection development for a private company that's involved with services to public libraries and we work with libraries across the country. Um, I'm not going to say where I work. Not, It's kind of for privacy sake, but more just, I don't know how I even want to <laughs> go into that. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, just it's better not to say probably. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. To, yeah. It's like when you put at the bottom of like an email or whatever, the opinions are all my own. Right, exactly, not, exactly. So, yeah, um, but I love what I'm doing. I, I work with fantastic people and So the work that I was doing before I left, if you don't know what collection development is, is to think about the way that the physical and digital collection of the library, so all of the books and and media and databases, how you balance those things for different communities and how you represent different types of, of points of view and how you make sure that you're covering all different types of interests and topics. And so now instead of doing that for one library system, I get to help lots of libraries across across the country do that. So it's really, really fun. You, you just get to think about books all day. So I really am enjoying that. And besides that, I love living in a city. I grew up in a city and I haven't lived in one since probably 2016 of, of to be in an actual metropolitan area. And so it's just really, really fun for me to to have that in my life again. So I get to have all these great food experiences and great events. And I think Nashville in particular is really great for book lovers because it has Parnassus Books, which if you don't know, is the bookstore that's owned by Ann Patchett. And so we get all kinds of authors and book events coming here because they know her and and the, the bookshop has just developed these kinds of relationships. So we, it's, I, I think when I first moved to Nashville, I texted Hallie and said, I could literally go to an author event every single night if I wanted to, because there are just so many things here to do. So, so that's been really a, a super fun thing for me. Besides that, I went to Morocco last year. That was fun. I got a hamster named Richard. He's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit obsessed with him. And um, as far as my reading life goes, it's been kind of a strange year because besides my surgeries in 2017, I had two major surgeries. And then at the exact same time as my second surgery, I had some pretty serious things happen with my mom's health. And uh, my family went through some really, really rough times. And thankfully, things are much better now and, and things are kind of settled down. But those three things in particular and then a, mo- a major move the next year really affected my ability to concentrate. And so I just found that I wasn't reading as much. And then even when I did, 
nothing was really standing out. So I had favorites for every year. Like I could do my my top 10 list every year. But then when I was looking at everything else that I had read, everything felt very mediocre and just nothing that that excited me. So this year I actually made a change where I switched to audiobooks for most of my book club picks. And so Hmm. that has helped a ton because now I'm freed up to read stuff that I want to read instead of, you know, I, I love book clubs and I love sort of being exposed to books that I wouldn't necessarily pick on my own on my own and I always feel like that adds to a really exciting like rich reading life but Mm -hmm. sometimes like for one of my book clubs we're trying to to find books that we think will win awards so you kind of have to go through a lot of things that are not always vetted first so Mm -hmm. and so that sort of felt like I was always just reading these kind of three star reads so I've I've felt recently like that's been a really great change so so that's that's where I am cool so one thing I would want to share about my reading life is that I for the last two years have been on an awards committee for the American Library Association it's called the reading list and it is a group of 12 of us who read in eight different genres and we select what we consider like the best of each genre is and then a short list. So the 2019 list came out in January, but it's based on 2018 titles. So we will put a link in our show notes if you're curious. It's a great list if you just want to look it over each year and see the best fantasy novel or historical fiction or romance. It's a nice it's a nice way to get an overview of, of what's good and popular and you guys do all of the you have the thing that you picked but then you also sort of have your honor titles too yeah right? so we so have like a short list yeah yes. so you get lots of options which is really exciting yeah so it is um i'll just rattle off the different genres we do so like i said we do fantasy romance and historical fiction but then there's also what's called adrenaline which is like thriller kind of things as edge of your seat sort of books horror uh, relationship fiction, science fiction, mystery. Is that it? Is that eight? <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, it's a lot of reading. <laughs> I've seen the the stacks. The, the pictures she sends me are out of control because there's like a sorting system that goes with it too for, right. for you to keep for it straight. Me. So yeah. For me, yeah. So it's kind of a long, it's kind of an involved process if you're interested. You can feel free to reach out to me uh, individually <laughs> and I can share how I approach it. But I mean, generally you're just trying to read pretty widely in those eight genres to find something to nominate. And then uh, as a member of the committee, you are responsible to read everybody's nomination. So we actually have two nomination periods per year. Every single person can do two nominations in each of eight categories. So if you can do the math, that's a whole lot of books that you uh, have to read as nominations. And that doesn't include the books that you are reading to find your nomination. So it is a pretty intense reading year. Uh, I will also say that it is pretty, for me, pretty restrictive as far as what I read. I don't read outside of those eight genres unless it is for a book club book or something like that. But so there are some pretty big books from the last couple of years that have totally passed right by me because they didn't fall into one of those categories. So I am looking forward to, I don't think I'm going to be on this committee again next year. Uh, I have not made the final decision, but that is where I am leaning at the moment. 
heavily leaning, I should say. <laughs> uh, and um, I am, I'm already envisioning what my stack of books is going to look like when I have the freedom to read exactly what I want to read. Um, but it has been such a fun experience and I really, really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed um, learning about the genres that I don't consider myself a huge fan of, particularly horror, was one. I'm a huge scaredy cat. I don't like horror. And that has been a huge surprise to me because almost everything I read, I end up really liking. I'm finding that a lot of the horror that's published right now really kind of leans into psychological thriller territory. Yeah. Um, so there might be a supernatural element to it, but it's definitely like that sort of sense of suspense and dread that drives the story versus like a gory I don't know I had this vision in my head of what horror is like and and that's been a huge huge surprise I would say um, science fiction is the one that I have remained steadfastly not that interested in (laughs) Um, I have tried and tried and I read them all and I um, you know, I can recognize that something is good or that a science fiction fan would love it, but it's still just not for me necessarily. But anyway, it's been a really great experience. I would encourage everybody to go. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely somebody who likes to read. And I would recommend going to check out, like I said, we'll put a link in the show notes, but it's the Rusa Code C-O-D-E-S reading list. And it's through the ALA website. You could find it. So, so yeah, that has dominated my reading year for the last couple of years. I would say, (laughs) or not quite two years, like a year and a half. All right. So a couple of things we just wanted to talk about before we dive into giving some book recommendations. You may be able to tell from this recording, it's all up in the air right now because it's our first one back, but we no longer have the professional equipment that we were using to record before. Uh, We used to use a multimedia live excuse me, a multimedia lab at the library. And we no longer obviously are at that library. So first of all, we we have purchased our own equipment and we are in separate states, separate locations. So we're doing this all via the internet. So it's possible that you may hear some audio differences from what used to the the professional quality that we used to have. Uh, We still have Adam Farver, who's going to be doing some of our sound production for us. So hopefully he can make it all sound incredible. But we did want to let you know that we're just dipping our toe into this new world of podcasting from our respective homes. So you might be able to tell that. You also, like I said, you might hear my dog in the background or my foster (laughs) dog or uh, cars driving by or whatever, because we are no longer in that sort of restricted environment. The other thing is that we are going to try to stick to our regular schedule of posting every other week. But because this is now a side project and not part of our regular jobs, we did want to make you aware of the fact that potentially that schedule might get off course at sometimes, but we'll try to plan in advance as much as possible so we can avoid that. So I I would like to say that there will not be another two year break, but we might miss a week or two. A week here and there. We didn't think there'd be a first one. I know. It took us much longer to get back to this than we expected, but I'm so glad we are. Um, So what we're going to do today is we are going to give two favorite books from the last two years that we have read and then close with what we're reading this week. Uh, We decided to pick two books from the last two years that we're super excited about sharing with you. I personally found this incredibly incredibly difficult. Every time I would select my two, I would think of about five others that I would want to slot in. But what I decided to do was just go with the first two that popped into my mind, not overthink it. Now that we're back and recording, I feel confident that 
we'll have the chance to share every every single book that we have loved over the last two years. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the first one is The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne. This is a book about a man named Cyril Avery. It starts in 1945 in Ireland. His mother is a single, unmarried, I believe she's a teenager, but she's definitely a youngish woman. And she does not have a boyfriend of any kind, and she is married, and she gets kicked out of her small village. And so she goes to, uh, I believe it's Dublin. She goes to a city all on her own and meets somebody by happenstance there and ends up having, living with somebody uh, in the apartment because she has no money and nobody, she doesn't know anybody. She has no support. And so um, she ends up having the baby on her own and gives it up for adoption because she just feels that she can't support it. And that is sort of the end of that first section. And then the next time you jump into Cyril's story, he is seven years old. So this is the structure of the book where it is broken up into these periods every seven years, uh, which is a structure that I have found I actually really like. I've read a few books recently in the last few years, I would say, where it has that sort of structure where it's like every like once a year it's checking in or once every few years. And I don't know why it really works for me, but it does. And in this book, it really does because you get to see the whole span of this man's life. He is adopted by this couple who are rather remote parents, I would say. They're not particularly involved in his life. They never make him feel like he is their true son like they they make sure that he knows that he is an adopted child i think they're pretty well off so he lives a very nice lifestyle but it's very lonely really and he is also gay which is something as he is growing up that he discovers about himself and as you would imagine that's an incredibly difficult prospect in ireland in the 50s and 60s in a catholic country so this story just follows him throughout his life and through his relationships that he has his friendships his romantic relationships his strange dynamic with his parents that he has and i found it to just be like this totally immersive story because you feel like you know these characters. They're they're interesting. They're frustrating. They're sympathetic. They're wonderful. They're loving. You know, it's just like everything. They're like real people. And it's a fairly long book. I think it's probably about five hundred pages or so. So that I just love that. That's like I just love those kinds of books because you feel like you are immersed in their lives and you're you're following this person throughout the whole scope of everything that he goes through. It's really moving. It's a very moving story. It's very touching, but it's also really funny. There are lots of funny parts to it, funny characters. Uh, and yeah, I just loved it. I would say it was my favorite book of 2018. And that is The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne. I, I haven't read that, but I know some of the book apps that I follow and and people I follow on Goodreads are obsessed with that book and it kind of felt like it was not a sleeper Mm -hmm. hit but sort of an under the radar kind of I feel like I was hearing a little bit about it what finally got me to read it was I think I heard it compared to A Prayer for Owen Meany, which I have not read in many years, probably like over 20 years. But when I read that book, I loved that book so much. I see the comparisons to the John Irving. It's sort of a little bit quirky, but the characters mm-hmm. are really fleshed out and 
it, it's not as John Irving can get a little off the wall sometimes I would say with some of his storylines and some of his characters and things um, and it doesn't do that but it's sort of that you I, I think the comparison comes from how much you care about the characters and yeah I just I loved it I think that I'm happy to see that it has some staying power you know it came out I think in 2017 maybe I read the paper back in 2018 so my guess is it came out in 2017 and so I'm glad to see two years later I still am constantly seeing that people are reading it my book club just read it a few months ago and generally everybody who read it <laughs> my my book club here doesn't not everybody always completes the book or even starts the book. It's more about just getting together and hanging out. Um, but so those of us who had read the book really, really loved it. So, um, so yeah, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's one that, um, so one of the, the things I do for work is an LGBT list and like essential titles. And that one I added after because uh, yeah however long it's been out it's been a couple of mm -hmm. years and I eventually added it to the essentials list because it's it has staying power yeah. and and that's really exciting to see like I love a new essentials yeah, that comes out me too <laughs> and that's what it, you know that's really what it feels like to me it just feels like everybody should read that book yeah it's just excellent so Anne what about you what's your first favorite so I favorite book of 2018 and it is also an Irish book so that's kind of oh, funny that's funny we didn't <laughs> um, even plan so, that I know that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite book of 2018 was The Witch Elm by Tana French and this is a standalone novel by the author of the Dublin Murder Squad series which is a favorite of both of ours and is is pretty universally beloved by lots of lots of people so um this book is narrated by a young man named toby who from the very beginning of the book identifies himself as this golden boy who has had a charmed life um he's been able to sort of talk his way out of every difficult situation and he's he considers himself very well liked by everyone he's met um he has a beautiful girlfriend he's good looking he has a good job he uh, basically has had his entire life marked by this remarkably good luck in every possible way but then his luck suddenly changes when he's attacked one night when he interrupts a burglary that's happening in his apartment and he su he suffers a traumatic head injury that causes memory loss so he's he's kind of physically recovered and he's doing okay but he he just has these gaps in his memory so as he's trying to come to terms with the fact that his life is never going to be the same, he decides to recuperate at his family's ancestral home, which is called Ivy House, and it's outside Dublin. And he does this partly just to, to get away from his apartment and to um, have some distance between what has happened to him. But he also it decides to help his uh, uncle, Hugo, who is dying of cancer. So, so they're sort of going through this recovery process or or health crisis together so ivy house was a refuge for toby when he was growing up and he spent some sort some glorious summers there with his cousins leon and Susanna. but as adults they've drifted drifted apart but during the recovery period they've been able to reconnect but the house's tranquility is ruined when one of Susanna's children finds a human skull inside the huge elm tree that dominates the garden so now the police are asking questions about the past but toby unlike before doesn't have all the answers to uh sort of talk his way out of uh, whatever situation he's finding himself in. So I know when I read this, this book is a pretty pol polarizing book in, for lots of, of fans. Um, and I was looking at Goodreads last night and it definitely 
the reviews are very, very mixed on it. And so many of the longstanding Tana French fans of her her previous work didn't love it, but I personally thought it was perfection. So it was it was you know, it kind of has a, a sort of gothic-y feel to it, which if you are a longtime listener, you know that is my absolute favorite. So it really, really worked for me. Um, it One of the criticisms I hear is that it's a very slow-moving book, which is a departure from her police procedurals. And and I agree with that. As I was reading it, I, I ostensibly knew that not very much had happened, but I also realized I was never bored with, with that. So I loved um, how she put together these relationships and the personal histories that she was developing. Um, I really felt like these were real characters and um, that that this was that I was being set down in the middle of this action with with this family that had all of this back history, which I, I really loved. And it also takes what I kind of consider the the tired trope of the unreliable narrator and gives it a plausible reason. Um, so even though I love unreliable narrator narrators in in books, I I often read them and kind of feel um, less satisfied with the the solution than the premise that I read. Um, and this one I found very satisfying. And so because it has this plausible reason for Toby's memory loss and his his uh, unreliable narration, it makes the reader wonder if Toby is as terrible of a person as we suspect he might be, but he doesn't know either. So it's just this very fun take on it. And I found the ultimate uh, payoff at the end, the solution, so satisfying to read. I know Hallie also really enjoyed that part of it. So um, it was just just such a fun book for me. Um, I think it's a, a very timely book for this moment because as a culture, we're confronting privilege, which at the core, I think, is what this book is, is trying to talk about. And I really want to say more about that, but I think it would be too spoilery to say anything else. So I just, I, I adored it. I thought it was perfection. So that is The Witch Elm by Tana French. Yeah, I was one of the people who was not as big of a fan of that book as her Dublin Murder Squad series, but I felt right. like the the ending made up for what I felt like was an incredibly slow, slow first half or so. But it's still ton of French, so it's like a right. bad ton of French. That's is a thing. still better than like eighty percent of what I read. So yeah, yeah. But I was, I was, I felt like like it was all kind of trying to. I really liked what I thought she was trying to yeah. do with that, yeah. with with like having this. I, I felt like it was deliberate, right? And and I liked yeah. I liked that feeling. Understood, so. understood. No judgment yeah. about favorites. Favorites are favorites for a reason. So yeah. my next one is City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. This just came out, I think, oh, yeah. in June. Have you read this? No, okay. but I met her oh. at. Uh, work. Oh yeah, you and told me this. Yes, you told. Yeah, me she this. spoke to yes. us as a, sort of a release party yeah, sort of thing, so and it was it was very fun. She was very interesting. Yeah, so I read this a few months ago. I read it as an advanced copy, so I think I read it back in like April or so, and I just adored this book. I just felt like it was everything that I love about historical fiction, which is that it takes you to a time and place that I am not familiar with, and makes you feel like you are right there with the people living it. So. This is about a woman named Vivian Morris who gets kicked out of uh, college. She goes to Vassar in 1940, and her well-to-do parents, I believe, live in Ohio, and they ship her off to Manhattan to live with her aunt. And her Aunt Peg owns this kind of run-down, dilapidated theater in Manhattan that they run like song and dance kind of, you know, spectacle kind of, like not Broadway shows, but like just entertaining yeah, kind, kind of. of. 
not really vaudeville. Right, right, right. Like that kind of sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And Vivian has skills as a seamstress. So she works there as, in the background, sewing costumes for the troupe. And they introduce her to the joys of being a single woman in New York City in the 40s. Part of what I loved about this book is just sort of like light isn't the right word, but it's like energetic. Like there's a lot of it's like a romp. Like it just feels like it's oh, moving, fun. but it also has something to say, which I always appreciate that where like the reading experience is really smooth. It doesn't feel like super challenging, but it feels like you're still it's not just fluff. Like there are things that it's mm-hmm. talking about. So it really unabashedly embraces female sexuality, uh, I think. And in fact, I think that it's uh, people should be aware going in that there are some pretty frank descriptions of sex and things that you might not be expecting from a historical fiction novel. It also comments, though, on like racism and love in all of its forms really like finding a life that makes you happy, whatever that looks like. And uh, it's just a vibrant story. Like it's just the characters come alive. The the setting of being in this theater really lends itself well to a, a book that has this vivacity that you don't always find. And it's funny and there's lots of snappy dialogue. There are characters that are Uh, Again, this is part of the reason I like historical fiction. They take characters, you know, these made up people that are characters that interact with people that really existed. So like, um, oh, I love. Yeah. So is it Walter Winchell? Is that his name? Who's like a newspaper guy from that era? That's how I I think. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. I don't have the book in front of me. But anyway, it's like there are real people that play a role in it. And what I found interesting is that World War Two is happening during this time frame. But that's not the focus of this book, which I feel like there is mm-hmm. just this glut of World War II novels. And I'm a sucker for a World War yes. II book. I am I am a sucker. I will admit it. I will read them all. And I love them all. But it was kind of nice to read something that wasn't that. And while the main part of the story takes place when Vivian is this young woman, she is actually the frame of the story is that she's looking back as an 80-something-year-old and telling an unknown person, her life story, and how she knew somebody that's in this person's life. You get like her whole life, again, sort of like the Hearts Invisible Furies, you get a sense of like what her whole life turned out to be and what she did, what she made of her life. And yeah, again, it was just, it was a great combination of being a little bit sad and a little bit touching, but also funny and exciting and interesting. And again, characters that you really feel like you love, particularly like the People that work in the theater, theater people are always a little bit like flamboyant and extravagant and like that comes through. And um, I thought very much of uh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I don't know if you read that one. I just finished that last week. Did you? (laughs) Um, So a little bit of that with like that like show business portion to it. Uh, Rules of Civility, which is one of my all-time favorite books. It reminded me a little bit of that with the New York City in like the 30s and 40s. Or uh, Lillian Boxfish Takes a Walk, which is another one that came out a couple of years ago. Um, So sort of like a nice blending of all of those, but still being its own unique thing. So that is City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. I think one of my book clubs is reading that in a month or two months, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm excited to get to that one. I 
it has it has one of the prettiest covers yes. of all of yes. uh, publishing right yep. now. So I've I've been very um, attracted yes. to it, but just haven't had a yeah. chance to get to it yet. I just saw last week that it is maybe Book Riot or somewhere rounded up like all of the lists for summer reading that exists like on the internet, you know, of people giving their top 10 or top 20 books to read over the summer. And City of Girls was like the number one, not the number one pick over, but like on the most lists. Like if they looked at a hundred different lists, that was on the most out of that hundred. So it's definitely kind of everywhere right now, but I would, I would encourage you to read it. It's awesome. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, so my next book, I, I wouldn't say this is my favorite book of this year, but I've thought about it a ton since I read it. And and sometimes when I was looking at books to pick, uh, I thought I want to use that for something else. So so probably my favorite book I've read so far this year, I'm not going to talk about because I, I want to use it for a different topic. But the book I'm going to talk about now is Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Anuachi and Joshua David Stein. This came out, I think, in April of this year, and it starts in a really intriguing way. It's it starts right after the spectacular high-profile failure of Kwame Anuachi's first restaurant. And he was very open about this from the very beginning of the book. Um, But then he recounts his path from the Bronx to the highest levels of society, um, which includes creating the dinner to honor the architect of the National Museum of African American History before its its opening. So he's had an extremely interesting path. When he was a teenager, he was sent to Nigeria by his mother to learn respect from his father's family um, because she didn't like the the path he was going down. So he built on his existing love of food when he was there to build this broader view of cuisine. And then when he returned, he actually joined a gang before he went to college. And while he was in college, he founded a catering company that he founded or that he funded rather by selling drugs from his dorm room. (laughs) So he's kind of had this this interesting mix. But then he was expelled from college and then he funded his catering company by selling candy on New York City subways. So he's he definitely has hustle and has tried all kinds of things to to make his dreams happen. So eventually he went on to an offshore oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico and and cooked there and sort of revamped the the food that the people that the men there expected to to eat so he he's just had these really diverse life experiences so after he goes to culinary school he eventually ends up working at per se and 11 madison park oh. which if you know anything about food is you will know that those are two very big deal restaurants in new york city and he went on to become a prominent contestant on top chef and so all of these things culminated in him gaining the attention of financial backers who gave him carte blanche to open the shaw bijou in washington dc and that began began getting significant press well before it opened because it was a restaurant run by a black chef that focused on the foods of his personal history. So the Bronx, Nigeria and the South. And it was going to have an insanely high price point and it took years to get off the ground. So it just had not a not an uncommon um, story in many ways, but but enough enough interesting little tidbits that went into it that it, it had a lot of press. After all of that, in less than three months, the restaurant had flamed out and closed, and there was a lot of gleeful press that sort of celebrated this, the collapse of something that had been so publicized. And all of this happened before Kwame Aniwachi was 27 years old, which makes me feel like a complete failure in every way. So... (laughs) So the book, I think, is, is was fascinating just for his life story, but also because it sort of rejects also because it sort of rejects this redemption arc that we're used to to reading. He doesn't 
talk about his follow-up successes. I know now he's he has a very successful restaurant, but uh, it makes the reader address really interesting questions about who is allowed to participate in the culinary world and who is kept out and who is allowed to be confident in their abilities and who must pay their dues and whose food is fine dining and whose is home cooking. And these are these are all things I am completely, completely interested in. So I, I really enjoyed thinking about that. I personally think that this is going to become one of the standard texts of food writing. It's mm. just a really fresh perspective. It's completely riveting, and I've I just can't say enough good things about it. So that is Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Anuwachi and Joshua David Stein. Gosh, that sounds so good. I don't. I hate to admit it. I've never even heard of it. So, well, it's nonfiction, so you don't. You I, haven't had time. I know time, but it hasn't even like crossed my path. So, anyway, that sounds great. Okay, awesome. Well, we will be back in just a second with what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? I can't wait for you to talk about what you're reading this week. <laughs> I am just I now put it so you could. I'm sorry. I did. I thought about not putting it just so you could have the surprise of. <laughs> I am just seeing it for the first time at this moment on our agenda. So you almost had your So I figured that everyone would want an update on my War and Peace saga. So I'm reading War and Peace. How is it going? So it's going well. Uh, If you don't remember or if you're new, uh, I talked about in an episode a while back that one of my goals, I think, for 2016 was to read <laughs> War and Peace. And <laughs> when we did our follow-up episode at the end of the year, this had not happened in any capacity. <laughs> I believe so, I texted you the night before we were, we were you recording. You did. And <laughs> so said, how is that going? Because <laughs> I knew if you had been reading it, I would have heard about it at that point. Right, for sure, anyway, for sure. Go ahead. Um, I'm proud uh, of you yeah, that you're so, reading it. <laughs> <laughs> so the goal, I think, had been because there was the adaptation that was coming out. I don't. I think it was BBC. I don't. I don't know if they were producing it or not. But um, uh, Andrew Davies, the beginning of 2016, and I thought that I would. I thought that it was playing in the UK and then it would come here eventually and that then that would give me time to read it. But then it turned out that they premiered basically at the same time. And so I 100% didn't have time to read it before the adaptation came out. And so that sort of stopped my drive, I guess, to get it done. (laughs) Then I did start reading it in, I think it was the fall of 2017. And, but this was after we went on hiatus and I slowly read about half of it. And then um, when I moved, I put it on pause because life. And it's also really tricky when you're involved with a, a lot of book stuff because you often have books to prioritize. So I feel like when you're reading a book that's well over a thousand pages of dense text, sometimes it's necessary to put other things ahead sure, of it. Right. So things like book clubs and stuff for work and and just, you know, sometimes you, you want to read a book before bed that is not going to take all of your attention. Right. So it can be a little bit tricky. But as I said earlier, because now I'm listening to most of my kind of assigned reading, I don't have anything that else that I have to read for all of August. So I decided to pick it back up um, last week. So I won't go too much into the plot because it is so intricate. But I kind of think that most people don't really know what War and Peace, like what the basic story is. Yeah, I would is. agree with that. Um, 
like most classics, everyone kind of has these touch points. But with War and Peace, it's just famous for being Russian and mm-hmm. giant. So basically, everything rotates around uh, everything rotates around three main characters. Um, there's Pierre, who is the awkward, illegitimate son of a wealthy count, but he suddenly becomes St. Petersburg most eligible bachelor after he inherits a, ho- a fortune. And uh, then Prince Andre, who is an officer in the Russian army, and he is cynical and discontented by life. And Natasha is a vivacious and romantic young woman who's growing up in Moscow under the threat of the Napoleonic Wars. And so then, and they all they all know each other, and they're all kind of intermingled, and it's over a period of time, how these relationships between these three people sort of intersect and and diverge really from under the horrors of war. So outside of these three, there are also many more major characters and there are countless secondary and minor characters, all with Russian names that um, sometimes can be very similar to each other. (laughs) And I'm not going to lie, it is pretty difficult to keep everything straight and everyone straight, but it truly is an epic book. Its creation is mind-boggling. It's like you you read it and you think this is just a work of genius. There is no other way around mm-hmm. it. It is it, and especially to be readable too. There there are definitely some kind of slow philosophical parts, but for the most part, it's it's really interesting. And even the you know everyone sort of jokes about wanting the peace parts and and sort of the romantic intrigue versus the war which is lots of battle scenes but he makes the war scenes really interesting as well so it's it's just a masterpiece and luckily with with leo tolstoy he has two masterpieces and i don't know that i enjoy this more than anna karenina but it is it is just as much of a masterpiece as as that is or probably more so unfortunately i did end up watching the 1960s soviet adaptation which was over seven hours long and it played in multiple parts over two days at the art theater here in nashville So, um, so I do know how it ends, which is kind of a bummer, but it ended up being totally worth it because it's, it has a literal cast of thousands and it's a visually stunning movie and it really captures the, just that epic nature of the book. And also the director had two heart attacks while he was filming over the course of six years and he played the lead, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) I don't know that hilarious would be high. They used to make (laughs) film. Maybe not, <laughs> but it, I just thought movies are not made the same no. way anymore. Yeah. He, he truly gave himself yeah. to this role, <laughs> so um, so I wish I didn't know the ending, but but it's still a very enjoyable book to to be reading. So that is War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. Well, I'm about to take quite the right <laughs> turn because. <laughs> So I was going to talk about one book, which is my book club book for this month. But I finished that yesterday and I started a new book this morning. Then I thought, well, I'll talk about this book that I started this morning instead, because I'm guessing my book club book I'll come to at another time, you know, another time. Yeah. Um, So my book that I am reading this week is Fumbled by Alexa Martin. It is. Oh, yeah. uh, Do you know this book? I'm I'm sharing it on my screen with Anne. So it is the second in a series and give me one second here. I'm going to look up what the series name is. This is probably when you don't have notes. It is the second in the playbook series, which is a set of romance novels that are based around a professional football team, although it's a made up football team. It's the Denver Mustangs. And it's like about every hero is a member of the team and then the women that they fall in love with 
Uh, the woman who wrote this, Alexa Martin, is the wife of a former NFL player. So it really feels like this is coming from a world that she knows really well. And I think that comes through because she talks about aspects of being in this life that are not as glamorous as one would expect because there is the the money and the fame that go with being a professional football player, but there's also body hurts that come from being like slammed into every Sunday <laughs> and aspects of it that that aren't quite as glamorous. So in this book, it is about a woman named Poppy who is a single mother. She has a nine-year-old son. She got married when, or excuse me, she got pregnant when she was in high school and her high school boyfriend, TK Moore, is now a member of the Denver Mustangs. And she was kicked out of her home um, when she got pregnant and went to live with her aunt, which I'm realizing is a theme this episode. I did not realize that, but that's exactly what happens in City of Girls, (laughs) except City of Girls, she's not pregnant. But in this case, Poppy goes to live with her aunt who lives in Denver. So that's how they end up in the same city because they did not grow up there, but now they're both there. In Poppy's version of the story, she notified TK about her pregnancy and he basically never responded. He, She tried to call him, and a girl picked up the phone. Um, she showed up at his house, and her his mother told her to leave and, so, and gave her money to go have an abortion. So in her mind, TK didn't want anything to do with this child, so she just took it upon herself to go raise him on her own. And then one day, there, she is working at a club in Denver, and TK and some other football players show up at this club, and they see each other. And it is very evident that he is not aware of this child at all. And so she starts wrestling with the idea of like, does she tell him? How does she tell him? And I'm only about halfway through the book. Like I said, I just started it this morning, but I got super into it. And I read about half of it. She ultimately does want to tell him the truth. Of course, she she doesn't want to keep it from him. And it becomes apparent that maybe he was not aware of the situation when they were teenagers, that maybe I'm guessing his mother kept it from him, although that has not been revealed in the story. Um, But one thing, the reason I wanted to talk about this book is because I think it's very evident of a representative, I should say, of what modern romances are doing these days, which is taking that satisfying love story of why romance readers like romance, but also adding real world issues to it. Yeah. So in this one, first of all, I will say that the the female characters in these books are super competent. They know their own minds. They don't need to rely on a man for anything, but like it's a welcome enhancement to their life if they find a person to share their life with, which I really appreciate. For sure. The other thing I like in this book, she talks about I think is it CTE? It's like the concussions that football players deal with. So again, I'm only partway through the book, so I haven't seen the story through. But I think what's going to come out is that TK has been suffering from some like memory loss and maybe some personality changes due to CTE. I just think that this blending of sort of a lighter, frothier romance topic with some real world issues is a way that these these novels feel fresh to me. They feel like a very kind of current statement about the world in a package that is like super fun to read, if that makes sense. So because I don't know about you, Anne, but the world at times feels like I just need an escape from bad things, particularly we are recording this on a week where there were several 
mass shootings and things that you just kind of like want to turn off the news and get away from the sadness. But at the same time, you don't want to be ignorant of things. And so a book like this makes me feel like, again, super enjoyable, super fun, super sexy. Like it's a great book to read just for pure entertainment sake, but it's not ignoring the fact that like real world stuff exists. So I don't know if I'm saying that in a way that like is, I hope I'm saying that okay. Anyway, so that is Fumbled by Alexa Martin. Like I said, it's the second in a series, but you certainly don't need to have read the first to enjoy it. In fact, the first book in this series, um, which I believe is called Intercepted, is the one that won the Reading List Romance Award last year. So I didn't nice. plan that, but I'm just realizing it as I'm talking. Getting back in the groove here, and now we go back and say all the books that we talked about this episode, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> all right, so I'll go first. I talked about The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne, City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert, and Fumbled by Alexa Martin. And I talked about The Witch Elm by Tana French, Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Anuachi and Joshua David Stein. And impressively, I am reading War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy <laughs> very, this week. Very, impressively. <laughs> Thank you all for your notes and comments on Facebook and things, reaching out to us during the time that we were not recording. We read them all. We appreciated them all. We are sorry it took so, so long. Much. This was actually, I think for me, it was that was the motivation that finally got me to be like, you know what, we really should start this again because we've we had gotten so many people saying that they missed our podcast, which was just so nice to hear. Yeah. And you know, we had people reaching out and asking for recommendations for other kinds of podcasts, and they'd say, "But there's nothing quite like yours." So I I really want to express our gratitude. That was so lovely to hear. We are so sorry that we took so long to get back to you, but we are so excited to be doing this again. Yeah. If you want to get in touch with us to give us feedback, or now it's a whole new slate of uh, topics that we might discuss. Um, (laughs) And I will say, I think that there's a possibility we might start repeating books. We were always trying to keep it so that if we had mentioned a book on the podcast, we only mentioned it once. But I think given the break, I think we might ease up yeah. on that a little bit maybe we should we should institute a two-year turnover two, yeah exactly it has to have been not, at least two of years. talking about books because there's lots of things that we say oh wow that's i've talked about that already but that would have been perfect right, in this right. topic and so it seems like a shame that they can never be talked about again yeah so two-year moratorium on book talk <laughs> um, but yeah, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com or find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at Wellread Podcast. If you want to rate or review us on iTunes or your, or actually it's it's Apple Podcasts now. I think I, this, we're using our old script for this part and there's a little behind the scenes. Uh, I think it's the world, the world has, has changed, changed in it's two no years. longer iTunes. I think it's Apple Podcasts. But there are other podcast providers. If you have the opportunity to rate us, that would be awesome. Uh, it helps other people find the show. Uh, you can also, if you're interested, you can follow me on Instagram. It is Hallie770. It's H A L L E 770. That's really the only social media I'm on anymore, although I'm on Goodreads too. And some people have found me there that I do post some book recommendations on there. I also post lots of pictures of my foster dog. So kind of have to be a dog lover if you want to follow me and my adorable <laughs> dog, Tucker, you might want to, you might see pictures of him pop up there too. Um, and can they follow you anywhere? Um, I don't, I, I'm on Instagram, but I never post things on there and, and definitely I don't have a book thing going on there, but um, I, there's an app called Litzy that I use quite a lot that is sort of, um, 
not quite as shiny as as Instagram, but it's entirely book based. And that is one that I think is really fun. It's a really great community. And my handle there is at F-E-R-S-K-N-E-R, which is Ferskner. That's pretty much where I am everywhere. <laughs> so and then I also am very active on Goodreads. And I think you can find me probably through the same name there. So um, those would be the two best ways to to see what I'm reading right now. Cool. Awesome. Uh, we keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, that's different a different web address from what we used to do when we were at the library, just so y'all know. But you can find a listing there of every book we talked about in this episode and in other episodes. Uh, thank you all for listening. Happy reading. We're so happy to be back, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.